Matthew 6, 5 through 15. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page number 690 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God. Thank you, Susan. We really appreciate you reading for us today. And uh, if you're interested in reading scripture for us sometime, Cheryl, just raise your hand back there. Talk to her. She'll be glad to put you on this schedule to read scripture. Uh, Reading scripture is a very important part of our worship time together, and we're thankful that so many of you are willing and eager to help us to read scripture. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, we begin a six-week study of what has been historically known as the Lord's Prayer. Very excited about this study and the Lord's Prayer Project, which is associated with it. I've been so thankful to see so many of you being involved with that. And again, let me invite you to just go to our website, churchatthechip.com, and you'll see a place that says, Sign Me Up for the Lord's Prayer Project, and you can do that easily uh, right there. And then from here on out, we will be doing this together as a church family. So far, nearly half of our church family have signed up online to be a part of this spiritual adventure. And I know others of you are doing it, though you haven't let us know just yet. I do hope you let us know so we can encourage you between now and then. Between now and Easter, we are making a commitment to read the Lord, excuse me, to pray the Lord's Prayer at least once a day. Several of us are doing it three times a day and using it as a means for us to come into God's presence in the way that Jesus Jesus invited us to. In addition, many of us are attaching scripture reading to this commitment as well. We're reading through the Gospels between now and Easter. It's easy to do, just about two chapters a day. And if you haven't started yet, tomorrow's reading is only from Matthew chapter 8, so you're only a few days behind. So feel free to get up to speed with that and uh, join us for this Lord, the reading of scriptures as well. Because you see, one of the things that's important is that scripture reading and prayer ideally go hand in hand. Scripture leads us to prayer. Prayer is informed by Scripture, so we encourage you to be doing Scripture reading along with your prayer. So, you've been praying the Lord's Prayer for a few days. I wonder, how's it going? Going okay? Is it going all right for you? All right. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to say, this is church. You don't want to talk too much in church, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, some of you, I'm sure, are finding it to be an enriching experience as you practice that discipline of prayer in the morning, at noon, and at night, or however often you're, however often you're deciding to, to do it. 
Some of you are really finding it really rewarding to meditate on each phrase, and you found that your prayer life is being enhanced, enhanced by praying the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, you say. And you think, yes, Father, I'm grateful that you invite me to come into your presence, not as my king, though of course you are a king, but as my Father who loves me and cares for me. My Father in heaven, thank you. Hallowed be your name, you say, and you think, yes, Lord, may your name be reverenced and, and lifted up by everything that I do to, and say today, may Jesus live his life through me in a way that people would say, the Lord is good, yes. You say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think, what would it be like if God's kingdom really did come into my life, into my family, into my work, into our world? What would it be like if God was willing, able to be in charge, living in my life? Thy kingdom come and let it start with me right now, right here on the earth in my home. And you pray that to the Lord. You say, Lord, what are the ways that I need your will to to be expressed in my life. And you're praying, and Lord is helping you to do that. And others of you, uh, later you go on and you say, give us this day our daily bread. And you're reminded now of the various needs in your life and, and in those of whom you love. So you offer your petitions to God. You pray for the things that are on your heart and on your mind. This is the time of petition when we bring, do our asking to the Lord for all the things that are important to us. But we notice that it didn't just say, give me my daily bread, but give us our daily bread. And so you think, as you pray for others around this world who really do not have daily bread, you pray for the poor in our neighborhoods and around the world and, and, and those who lack the basic needs for human flourishing, needs for food and shelter and health care and running water. Give us, give us all, all of us, our daily bread. And you go on to say, Lord, forgive us our debts or trespasses, whichever you say is okay, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, 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 and you think of the moments when you can offer to God your heartfelt confession to your loving and forgiving and compassionate Father, and you bring those before him because he is your Father, and you bring that confession to the Lord. And then you say, deliver us from evil. It's your prayer for God's protection throughout the day. Lord, deliver me from evil. Guide my path. Let your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come through my life. Protect me from the evil one as I go through this day. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And you end as you began this prayer with adoration. Adoration at the beginning and the ending of the prayer. And you're reminding that whatever it looks like around me, God is in control. Whatever problems I face, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And it will, his glory and his kingdom and his power will never end. And you say, amen. Did you just pray the Lord's prayer with me? Yes. That's what you can do every single day in just a few minutes by using this prayer as your template. You've been guided through the prayers of adoration, of submission, of petition, of confession, of deliverance, and of praise. You have begun to tune your heart to the rhythm of God's drum like that bird. You see? You tuned your heart. 
You stepped away from the cacophony of the television and the radio and the internet and the people who live and work next to you, and you stopped for a moment to tune your heart to the rhythms of God's grace. And so now you can march to his beat as you face your life. That's what we're doing. And we hope this will not just be a 40-day project, but it will become for you a 40-year project, one day at a time, right? Yes, you've tuned your heart to the rhythm of God's world. You are in God's drum. You are now ready to face the world. Now, for some of you, however, praying this prayer is not a particularly, particularly enriching experience. You know, perhaps you have bad memories of meaninglessly repeating this prayer in your childhood every day, and you just went through it, didn't think about it, and it's hard for you to pause for a moment to think about it. Or perhaps you wonder whether it's even right to, prepare, to pray a prepared prayer like this. Doesn't he say, use not vain repetitions? And yet we know that in the church they have used this prayer right from the beginning as a means to help them in prayer. Or maybe, to be honest, you've just not made prayer a regular practice in your life. You're trying to exercise muscles which have long lain dormant. Before you know it, the day is done. Oh, I didn't even pray the Lord's Prayer today. It takes 20 seconds, and I forgot. Well, now's a good time to do it. Our Father, right? Yeah. Pray it twice for today and yesterday if you want to. Yeah. If not, if, if you have had trouble for whatever the reasons, don't worry. Keep at it, and you will find that little by little Day by day, moment by moment, prayer will become a natural and fulfilling part of your life. You will begin to pray like you breathe without ever even thinking about it. And yet it influences your life. Yes. That's one of the reasons why over the next several weeks we will take a careful look at this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It has a prominent place in the Gospels as well as in church history. Since the beginning of the church, it has been a part of the church's worship time together, the church's liturgy. Why is this prayer so important? How can it be helpful for us? While we're practicing the prayer in our private lives daily, we'll be studying it here together as we gather. And I hope that both the personal practice and the corporate study together will both work together to make prayer a more vital and vibrant and healthy and natural part of your life. So then, what do we learn from this first section of the prayer. It said, as Susan read it for us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's all we're going to talk about today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or as we've learned to say it growing up, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. These opening phrases teach us two vital things about prayer. We're going to talk about them today, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you. We learn, first of all, about the basis of Christian prayer, and secondly, about the focus of Christian prayer. And you're welcome to jot some thoughts down in the uh, insert that was provided for you in the bulletin, where also the scriptures are printed for you. Let's talk, first of all, then, what Jesus teaches us in this opening phrase about the basis of Christian prayer. What is it? What is it? I'll talk to you about that. This is a critical foundational issue. What is the basis upon which we can come to God 
in prayer. You know, if I'm going to come to Tony over here and say, Tony, I'd like to have 150 bucks, please. I better have a good basis for asking that, right? But if I go to my wife, I say, can I have 150 bucks? She might say, well, sorry, we don't have any, honey, right? I need a basis for asking for God. And one of the reasons why many of us struggle is we either don't know that we have a basis or we're operating on the wrong basis for prayer. This is very important. You see, everyone prays. In the verses just at the beginning that says Susan read for us, we see that the hypocrite, hypocrite prays. He prays to be seen by others. And the Gentile or the pagan or the heathen is translated all different ways. He prays too with many words. Everyone prays. What right do we have to come to God in prayer? What is it that is unique about Christian prayer? This is a vital question. For way too many of us, I'm convinced, without knowing it, we're Christians but we approach God as if we were pagans. What do I mean by this? Well, let me give you an illustration. How many of you have ever lived in a house which was not your own? Let me just see it quick. You ever lived in a house which was not your own? Okay, yeah, most of us have lived in a house which was not. Why might we live in someone else's house? Well, for the most part, we do it because we're a renter. We're a boarder. We're renting. Someone else owns a house. We're renting it. Now think about what it's like to be a renter in a home. When you're a renter, you have a business relationship with your landlord. Your job is to pay the rent and to respect the property. When you do that, you have the right to expect to stay in the home, and you also have the right to expect that your landlord will maintain the house in good working order, right? So, you know, the faucet's not, leaking, not, not working properly or it's leaking, and you call the landlord and you say, hey, could you come and take care of this? And because you have a business relationship, you do your part. You expect your landlord to do his or her part to come fix the leaky faucet. His job is to maintain the house in good working condition. If something breaks, we have a right to ask our landlord to fix it. So long as we both fulfill our duties, we get along just fine. In fact, sometimes we even become kind of friends with our landlords, don't we? Yes, we can be friends of his But always the relationship as one of a landlord and a tenant. Now, there are many of us who pray to the Lord as if we are renters. We do it all the time. And this is one reason why we struggle so with prayer. We see God as a landlord and we are the tenant. He owns the property. He owns everything. He owns us. We've got to pay the rent. So long as we do our part, we have a right to ask God to fix what is wrong with our lives. You see how we do that? So we come to God, and we think we sort of give him our reasons why he ought to answer our prayer. You know, I went to church last week. Lord, why don't you fix my problem, right? That's a tenant-landlord relationship. It's pagan prayer, not Christian prayer. Talk about that as we go. Now look what happens when things do not go as we want, when it appears to us as though our landlord is not answering our phone calls. (laughs) He's not returning our emails. He's not fixing our faucets. Does this happen to you when you pray to God? Does it seem to you sometimes he's not giving you what you think you need? We, two things generally happen when we have a tenant approach to our prayer life. Number one, we get angry, or two, we get anxious. Anger, or anxiety. 
You see, we get angry, first of all, because God's not doing his part. Lord, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I'm trying my best. I know I'm not perfect, but I went to church last week. I mean, whatever, fill in the blank. You see how we do this? We get angry. God owes me. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm not perfect, but neither is Joe Schmo down the road. I mean, and the Lord seems to be giving him all of his answers. What's going on here, Lord? This isn't right. God owes me. God's not coming through. I'm checking out. This is one reason a lot of people leave the church. It's one reason, right? God hasn't come through for us. We get angry or we get anxious. And this is probably more common for a lot of us who are Christians. Well, why would we get anxious when we ask God for something? Well, obviously, we've not been paying the rent like we should have, right? We've been falling down on the job. We haven't been as loving as we ought to be, as forgiving as we ought to be. We haven't been as good as we ought to have been. We haven't been treating our kids and our parents and our husbands and our wives working as much. Oh, I remember two weeks ago I went to church, went to work 15 minutes late, and I, and I, I wrote down I went at 8 o'clock. Oh, no. You see? No wonder the Lord's not answering my prayer. I better go to church 15 minutes, to work 15 minutes early next week. You see how we do? Happens inside of our minds. We get anxious. We haven't prayed enough, given enough, served enough, read enough, witnessed enough, suffered enough. We need to work harder to do our part. Maybe then God will answer us. It's obviously not God's fault. It must be my fault. Why? Because we're, he's the landlord. I'm the tenant. When we do this, we might be Christians, but we're praying, we're thinking, we're acting like pagans. We need to understand the gospel. We're treating God like a business partner not and like a landlord. Yes, when we live in someone's house, someone else's house, we often live in it as a tenant. But I would venture to guess that every single person in this place today has lived in someone's house at some point in your life, whether you've ever been a tenant or not. Because all of you at one point were children. And you lived in someone else's house. You lived in your parents' house. Now do you feel the air coming back into the room? That's what Christian prayer is about. Our landlord, our king, our creator, our boss. No, our, say it, father. Our Father. We are not supposed to be having a business relationship with God. We have a family relationship with God. Jesus tells us to come to God, not as our landlord, not as our king, not as our creator, but as a father. And this makes all the difference in the world. If God is my landlord, my relationship with him is conditional. But if God is my father, my relationship with him is unconditional. If God is my landlord, my relationship is based on performance, both his and mine. If God is my father, my relationship is based with him him simply on the nature of my relationship. Yes, we, uh, God, it, it, it is based, it is relationship based. It is based upon who I am. If I, if I, If God is my landlord, it's based upon what I do. If God is my father, it's based upon who I am. Do you see the difference? One has to do with what I do to initiate the right to have a relationship with the landlord. 
The other has to do with what God has initiated to make me as a part of his family. Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites, for their prayer is mostly to be seen by others. They think God is impressed by how many people are impressed by their prayers. Neither, he says, should we pray like the pagans, for they are trying to manipulate God by their empty words like spinning that wheel. Just say enough words and it'll come to you. You see, instead, we come to God as a father. You see, prayer is the natural response of a child to his father. So don't go running past that phrase of our father anymore. Think about it. Think about your father. But the critical question to ask about this is, if we come to God as a father, on what basis do we come to him as our father? How do I know he's my father? How do I know I have the right to come to him in, to come to him in prayer? How do I know? I know because the basis of Christian prayer is, and fill in the blank, adoption. Oh, you didn't? Yes. You have been adopted into God's family. That's why we can come to him as our father. It's as old as the Old Testament. When, when God said, I have adopted you, the nation of Israel, to be mine. You belong to me. I've rescued you. I've set up my covenant with you. You belong to me. Israel is my son. In fact, the first time father's son is talked about with regard to God is when Moses is told to go to Pharaoh and he says, I want, you to, I, I want you to allow my people, my firstborn, my children to come and to worship me out in the desert. You see, we have a relationship with God as our father because we've been adopted as his children. And of course, this doctrine comes to fruition ultimately in the New Testament when Jesus comes to bring back to himself those people who are living in a far away country. Like the story of the prodigal son, this child who had gone off by his, on his way, who was living as a slave, eating the food designed for pigs, the guy who had rejected his father, rejected his faith, rejected his family. He had gone off and found himself in utter disgrace. One day he's sitting there, Luke chapter 15, I think. He comes to his senses and he thinks about my father, but he thinks about my father as his hired servants. I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to get into the family not as a son because of course that doesn't, is not my right anymore. I've taken the family inheritance. I've squandered it. I no longer deserve to be called his son. I will come to him and ask him to make you one of his slaves because slaves live better in the father's house than I'm living out here in this faraway country eating food not fit for pigs. So he comes back and what does that story tell us? But the father who had been looking for him runs to meet him, which is humiliating for an older man in that culture, a wealthy man especially. He runs to meet him. He bows down before him. He, he grabs his feet, and the son begins his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he never even finishes his speech. He means to say, make me like one of your hired servants. But the, Lord, the father interrupts, and he says, quick, Kill the calf. Let's have a party. My son was dead. He was lost. And now he has returned. This is the gospel. He's brought back into the family, not as a slave, but as the son, by, purely by the grace of God. And so we have this 
teaching in the scriptures about adoption. Romans 8, 5, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, our Father with our, which art in heaven. Or in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God, we might say no longer a tenant, but a son and an heir through God. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We have been adopted. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's the decision of the father, not of the child. Adoption is the decision of the father, right? It's a change of status that is brought upon us, and the status change occurs before the behavior change. Anyone who has ever adopted more than an infant, no, an infant, no. That the moment you adopt that child becomes legally yours, you're responsible for that child, and his behavior may take a while to change, but he's still your son. She's still your daughter. So you have been adopted. You have been adopted into God's family. Receive that. Respond to that by faith. Our Father, which art in heaven. I don't know if you saw the Olympics, of course you did. We all did. Did you see the story about Jessica uh, Long, uh, who is a Paralympic swimming champion? She's got no legs beneath her knees. She was born that way. She was born in Russia. She was born to a 16-year-old woman who ultimately married the man to whom she was born, but was given up to adoption. And when she was 13 months old, she left Siberia, where she was born, and came to live in another family, adopted by parents, moving from an orphanage in Russia to having all the benefits of being part of a loving family. And she is a gold medal, world record-holding swimmer, who, by the way, is a Christian, but that's not why I'm telling this story. She is a person who was adopted into the family, and you can see here, she was actually Athlete of the Year, winning the Sullivan Award a few years Ago, and she went back during the course of the Olympics to meet her family in Russia. It was a beautiful story. She was adopted and given a brand new future, and so she now says, My name is Jessica Long, but I take my given name from my mother there in Russia as well. My name is Jessica Tatiana Long. Yeah. You see, we have been adopted in the family, and we must never forget it, for we will constantly be drawn toward a performance-based relationship with God. We need to constantly be reminded that this is not so. Our relationship is based first and last upon grace. We're adopted into his family. He loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. Can you believe that? That's the truth about you. In Matthew chapter 3, I read this when I was reading the Gospel of Matthew. I, was, I couldn't help when Jesus was 
baptized, the Lord spoke, and he says in 3.17, Behold, a voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know God is well pleased about you? Yes. When Jesus was praying just before he went to the cross, he said to the Father, the world, uh, I pray for them and you, I pray, I and them, John 17, 23, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Did you see the words even as? Jesus says, I want the world to know that you love them just like you love me. Do you think God loves Jesus? Oh, my goodness. He can't get over him. That's what Jesus prayed that you would know that God feels about you because if you have responded by faith, you are adopted into his family. So if you've been praying like a tenant, it's time to either become a child or to remember that you really are the child of God. If you've not responded in faith, to the good news about what God accomplished for you in Jesus' death for you on the cross. Please respond in faith to him and don't believe the lie that says you're just a tenant, that you're just a slave. Come to him and say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, I had more I wished to say, but I may send that to you in an email this week, all right? We'll see how it goes. But I want to invite you at this point to never again speak to God just like a landlord. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, do it now. Do it now. Respond to what he has done. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, remember you are the child of God. You belong to him. He's as crazy about you as he is about his own son, Jesus Don't diminish God's love for you by being wimpy in the way you respond to God, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus Christ, remind us that the basis of our relationship with you is that we are adopted. You are our Father, Oh, what a beautiful thing that is. And I know there are a lot of us who've had difficult relationships with our fathers. But help us not to let that relationship color how the truth is to be told about you as our Father, our Heavenly Father. Help us to come before you in confidence that we will find mercy and grace to help us in the time of need. And if there are any here today who have not yet placed their faith in you, may they respond in faith to what you have already proffered to them through Jesus, who through his blood paid our penalty so that we could be welcomed into his family. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.